right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn and Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery on this edition and always here of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, okay, we're, we're going to get into a lot of KU football talk today, and I have something planned here for the Open. We also have Matt Tate joining us later in the 3 o'clock hour. we got Andy Kolnicki, Brian Borland Audio, Chiefs are having their cut day. Uh, plenty more going on today. But a random kind of thought crossed my mind today that, I don't know, I thought was at least intriguing enough to talk about here to start off the show. What kind of random thought could you possibly have, Derek? You know, I was thinking about this. I also, K- oh, also, I'm sorry. What kind of random thought could you possibly have, big dog? Oh, gosh. Uh, KU ran, I think, 62 plays per game last year. Yep. Right in that range. Uh, there was some talk about the numbers going down from Lance Leipold like last week to about six or seven plays per yeah, game. Yeah, did you see of, the, the sample size thing? I think it only was down two. Down like three or four, I think. Yeah, so it wasn't down too much. And, and that also, was something and also the time of the game was down like 10 minutes. Yeah. So it didn't even matter. Well, Andy Kodalik, you joked about it today. He said it. I, the game time was, was a good amount shorter, but they added like seven minutes of commercial, so it didn't really matter that much. <laughs> so Classic ESPN. Yeah, of course. Um, but that means, let's just say the numbers are down. Let's let's just go with an even 60 for plays per game. That would be down two from the year before, whatever. The, the way that they like to be balanced, that could be 30 passes a game. That could be 30 runs a game. Easily, yeah. And that gets you to 60. Could be 25 passes, 35 runs. Could be 35, but whatever. Game to game, it's going to differ. Over the course of the season, probably be closer to even. If that means KU is running 30 plays a game that are run plays... I started thinking about this in my head. You run out real fast of who's going to get all of the who's going to get the carries. Yeah, because think about it. I mean, immediately in your head, you're like, okay, Devin Neal twelve, Daniel High shot ten, Jalen Daniels, Daniels ten. You're like, but wait, then you're already thirty two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you? How do we make this work? Is it like ten for Devin Neal, ten for Daniel Highshaw, five for Jalen Daniels? Do you really limit the quarterback running game, and then you have five for no, the other running back? I don't think you limit the quarterback running game. I think what it's going to be is. Let's say you run 60 plays. I think it'll be more like 35, 25 run to pass. I was kind of thinking that too. But even then, you run out quick. Because if it's 12 <laughs> carries for Devin Neal, 12 carries for Daniel Highshaw, that's 24. 10 carries for Jalen Daniels, there's 34 carries. You have one left for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Jalen doesn't get that many. Maybe Jalen's only like eight, you know. But but yeah, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a tough situation. you got a lot of mouths to feed. you got a lot of really talented guys that – are probably deserving of getting the ball in their hands, right? And it's a case of Andy Kolnick has talked about this, and he is he has said in the past that he's not afraid to just ride with the hot hand. So I mean, you know, look at the look at the Oklahoma State game. Devin Neal had 32 carries in that game, so they basically just stuck with him because he was dominating. Well, and, you know, and Devin Neal averaged Hyshaw, 15 carries a game last year. Yeah. So now if we're saying Devin Neal's gonna have 15, <laughs> well, okay, I would assume that's gonna go down a little bit because Daniel Highshaw was hurt for the season. If Daniel Highshaw is fully healthy the whole year. He doesn't average 15 carries. Devin Neal doesn't. Let's see how many Daniel Highshaw averaged per game. He played... He played 
four and a half games? I guess, yeah, it's, it's tough. What do you consider that fifth game? Uh, he was getting 44 carries. So he had 44 carries over four and a half games. Yeah, so but realistically, nine. if you take out the Tennessee Tech game, that's five carries in the opener. The, the last four games he played, including the Iowa State game, 10, 11, 10, 8. So basically okay. 10 carries a game. So, yeah, 10. So 10, 10 for, for Hyshaw. So let's shave off 14 for Devin Neal. No, 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 no. Let's shave off like, let's go like 12 okay. for Devin Neal. Six or seven for Jalen Daniels. Yep. One three for like for, a receiver or Jason three Bean. Three for Jason Just, Bean. You know, jet sweep, Jason I Bean. I think Jason Bean. I am, I am. Three a game I'm for Jason Bean? I'm continuing to maintain that Jason Bean, I think, is going to play more than people okay. are expecting. Three a game? I don't know if he's going to get three a game, but I think he's going to play more than people are Okay. Are and then you have a couple for, for the other people. Yeah, I guess that could work. I mean, in games where the running is successful, they might run it 40 or 45 times. Oh, 100%. Right? right. No, I don't think Andy Kulnicki is I'm just saying over afraid. the season average, though. Yeah, I don't think Andy Kulnicki is afraid to, in a one-game sample size, be like, oh, this is working? Let's just keep doing that. Yeah. And so as much as we've talked about the depth of the running back position and all these guys that you're like, oh, I feel good with Tory Lachlan being the fifth. I feel good with uh, Dylan McDuffie where he's at and Savion Morrison having him in depth and, and having Johnny Thompson even further down. It's like, well, those guys might not really – play that much like there's just not carries to go around for those guys it pretty much is just just room for the two if we go back to the, the comment from Andy Kotelnicki from when he first was taken over KU he said a pair and a spare yeah the spare is not to be used unless one of the pair is a flat tire right so that basically means that the pair or the spare in this situation is Dylan McDuffie he might only get two or three carries a game. Yep. If one of the pair, Daniel Highshaw, Devin Neal, gets injured, oh, then I the spare were, becomes part oh, of the I pair. I figured you were talking about uh, Devin Neal and Savion Morrison as the pair. <laughs> no. So I, I just thought but, it was an interesting, dude, interesting little thought come on, across my man. mind today. Sorry. Come on. Sorry, man. No, I, I, no, that's fine. I get it. Listen, uh, Henry Greenside of the Lawrence Runner World tweeted this earlier today about Andy Kolnicki has a lot of like quirks, quirky things he says. Does does Kotelnicki-ism sound good to you or, or Kotelnikism? I kind of like Andyism better. Andyism? I think it just sounds better. It, you don't like Kotel- Flows better. You don't like Kotelnikism? too mouthy. No, Kotelnikism. Again, you too mouthy. You don't like that one? I like Andyism. K-ism. Well, he mentioned like a Coach scientific K. equation today, but I, I don't think anybody understood what yeah, that was in reference sometimes, to. Sometimes I think he, he <laughs> says stuff, and I think A, nobody knows what it means. Or B, he may not even know what it means. <laughs> or, or C, it's like it's I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, you got the Legos it's crap. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You got the Legos crap. You got the what was? It? Didn't he quote Socrates like last? Year oh yeah, multiple quotes of books. I mean, yeah, well, like philosophers, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so KU takes on Missouri State Friday. Game at seven. Pre-game with Crimson and Blue show starts at five thirty right here on your home for the Hawks with KLWN. Um, on Kiss, the, you can hear the game too. Our the show, Big Mill. Real pregame starts at yes. 4.30. Or well, technically 3. three. Yeah, three. Yeah, we're going to have RCST live at Big Mill from 3 to 5.30, so come on out to that event. Uh, who needs to play well this Friday? Because anytime you're playing an FCS game, like if Jalen Daniels goes out there and has an unbelievable performance, we're not going to walk away from the game going, can you believe what Jalen Daniels did? We're just going to be like, oh yeah, Jalen Daniels was good at football, still is good at football. Like It's it's not going to be, if, if anybody goes off, it's just going to be like, well, you should go off. You're playing a lesser opponent. There is a certain flip side to that, though, in an FCS game where it's like, if you struggle in this game, that is a very bad sign. So kind of to that notion of everything. Who needs to play well the most on Friday to make you feel good about 
that individual this season or or maybe something about the team or, or one of the units? So I want to take this back to last year. Lonnie Phelps comes in. People think he's going to be pretty decent, but not really sure. And he has a huge game in the in the opener against Tennessee Tech, and that then sets the bar. From that game going forward, everyone was like, Lonnie Phelps is elite. He's a great player. Now, the numbers didn't, weren't always there for him, but it was obvious that his impact was mm-hmm. there, right? So is there going to be another player this year where you have where it's a Lonnie Phelps-type game, where he has a really, really great game one, and then from that moment on, everyone's like, yep, that dude is a guy that you can rely on. Is that going to happen this year? Is it going to be a Jamie Robinson? Is it going to be a Marvin Grant? Is it going to be Rich Miller, J.B. Brown? I mean, is one of those guys going to have that level of game? But do you think do you think that's possible? Not to that level. I mean, Lonnie Phelps was so three sacks and four tackles for loss. But could I see one of them having a sack and a half? Two well, tackles. Well, for let loss? me yeah. let me phrase it this way: If Jeremy Robinson does against Missouri State exactly what Lonnie Phelps did against Tennessee Tech last year, he has three sacks with four oh. tackles for loss. Are you going to view him the exact same as you viewed Lonnie Phelps through the rest of the season yes. as an impact player? Yeah, because because here's how here's how I take into account what happens in the game. If 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 Jeremy Robinson does just that, for instance. It would not necessarily be an indication to me that Jeremy Robinson is going to be an All-American, but it is an indication at that point that he is your best defensive lineman, he is your best defensive end, and that he has potential to be very good. Like, that's what this is all about. Like, if, if you have one player who looks the best on the defense, it doesn't necessarily give you proper competition for you to be like, well, we know he's better than this guy on this other school. Not really. You're playing an FCS team. But guess what? Everybody on your team is playing that same FCS team. So it's a way to distinguish who is best and who is, uh, I don't know, higher up in the pecking order on your own specific team since they have that same competition level you're playing against. So, yes, if Jeremy Robinson does that, um, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I think he's going to be, you know, a 12-sack guy. Lonnie Phelps finished with, what, yeah, seven think, sacks? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, people, people look at Lonnie Phelps last year as being the best player on KU's defense. Mm-hmm. He had all this impact, but... You take away the Tennessee Tech game, and his numbers on paper were really pretty pedestrian. Now, obviously, you go back and watch the film, and you see double team. Yeah, you see that he's getting double teamed. He's, you know, he's he. The impact is obviously there, right? But on paper, you can see that it wasn't always there. Yeah, yeah, but I I do think there is something to be learned about Jeremy Robinson because this is one of those games where for him, even if it's not. The Lonnie Phelps game. Just look good. Get quarterback pressures. Uh, we know pressures are a more sticky stat than uh, sacks, like in terms of if you consistently get pressures, that's the kind of procedural element of it. Like sometimes the results aren't going to be there. I mean, listen, how do you right? get sacks? You have to you get, get pressure. Right. So consistently, if you're getting pressures, t- typically more sacks will follow. Um, so yeah, with Jeremy Robinson, it's just don't get washed out of the game. Don't have a game where we're looking at the end of it and being like, man, Jeremy Robinson where were disappeared, you? right? Yeah, where it's were like, you? Well, that was against the FCS opponent. That would not be good. Uh, what yeah, about Dominic I'm, Pooney at left tackle? That do anything for you? I mean, I, I assume he's going to be good. So I do I don't, too, but... I don't, I don't, I'm honestly probably not going to be watching him that closely because I just expect that he's just going to dominate. It would more so be something where it's like, oh no, I noticed yeah. him because something dude, bad that's happened. That's always the case, yeah. exactly. That's always the case with FCS games. It's, it's, you don't, there are certain guys where you want to say, okay... I just want this guy to do his job, and I don't want to have to think about him because he's playing an FCS opponent. He should be able to execute his job at a high level. There's that aspect of it, and then there's, all right, who is making big plays, right? Dominic Pooney, to me, falls in the category of, I don't even want to watch him. I don't even want to look at him. I just want to know that he is doing his doing his job, taking care of business. I don't even want to think about it. I know he's good. I know he's good. That's what I want to see. That's what I want him to do. 
I think when it comes to guys having big games that'll make me feel better, it's got to be linebackers, right? I mean, we talked about it. Linebacker group, one of the worst in the in the Big 12, probably the worst in the Big 12 last year, been the worst in the Big 12 for multiple years. And, uh, you know, they had J.B. Brown, Rich Miller, and Taiwan Berryhill another year. You have Craig Young as your, your hawk. And those are the guys that I'm keeping on. I want to see those guys flying around, making big hits, getting tackles for loss. Those are the guys that I think I would have would sway my opinion the most of if they have a good game versus if they just don't do those things. Yeah, basically. and what what exactly does that look like? Racking up a lot of tackles. I think if you look just, at the end of yeah, the day, or just or just just popping on film, sure. like being like, big hey, that was a nice that was a nice angle to cut across the field yeah. and tackle a guy. You know, if, or if you Missouri know, State you, doesn't have a like if they have a lower rushing total, you yeah. probably give them a lot of credit yeah. there. Tackles for loss. You know, tackles at the point of attack. Uh, you know, not how about this? Just making tackles, just not letting letting a guy get away from you. Yeah, right? I mean, we'll have the pro football focus numbers after with the missed tackle percentage, right? Like, don't miss tackles, yeah, up them up, right? Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, because athletically, you're gonna be, it's all gonna be harder from here, right? So if you struggle yes. to wrap up in this game, yes, if you, if you, if you well. can't tackle Joe Schmo at Missouri State, <laughs> you're gonna have bigger problems. Yeah, no offense to Joe Schmo at Missouri State. Yeah. Okay, I, I don't think this is going to be a popular one for a lot of like I don't think a lot of fans are going to the first game and they're like, can you wait to see the new kicker and punter? But I am actually very interested in seeing this because that is something to me that is a little bit more like it it shouldn't matter from from whoever the kicker is. Seth Keller obviously had an or there with with O and P. Um, <laughs> Peeper Gertis. It shouldn't matter. Right. It shouldn't matter who you're playing for how the kicker looks, right? Like. I understand if a kick gets blocked, that can be dependent on on who you're playing or something. You want me to say it again, Owen? <laughs> Peeper Gertis. What? No, I don't want you. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, um, you're just saying his name, aren't you? Aren't you just saying Owen? Peeper Gertis. I mean, that's what I'm saying. What are you saying? I'm saying Owen. Peeper Gertis and Seth Keller. No, but if if you like, okay, either way, you're kicking a football between uprights. It doesn't that's, matter. Actually, that's a great way to describe a kicker. You yeah. know what I mean? But it, it's not like with the quarterback where it's like, oh, okay, how I throw, who I throw to is dependent on what type of defense they're playing, who is on defense. If they have a good corner, maybe I don't want to throw that one. It doesn't matter. Either way, you're I just kicking the ball okay. through the uprights. I think you're oversimplifying it. I we am should get a kicker it, in yes. here and have him break down how to kick. No, no, no. I, I'm I think oversimplifying it's lot, it. I think it's... I, I agree. I'm just saying I don't think the opponent matters. Either way, you're doing the same task. It, it is. It has no bearing based on what the opponent is doing to you. Unlike a quarterback, sure, I if you well, face no, a cover no. two or a if cover a one, block, man, or if it's there's different. a you know whatever. I know. You I said that. that already. I said that already. That's the one exception. If it gets blocked because the team is better, that's that's. But again, that's not you. That's your blockers let you down, right? Well, no, because if you take too long to punt, then it's your fault. Okay. Now there's execution part of it. Execution. Okay, but again, with the kicker, I. I just want to see does it does it look good? Do you get like a long field goal off? And and from the punting perspective too, how does it look? Is it booming off your foot? Are you doing the Australian if style? If Damon Greaves has ten punts and averages That's like sixty thing, yards a punt, how will you feel? I'll feel bad about the offense, but I'll feel great about the punting situation. <laughs> so I guess that's a plus minus. So yeah, I do I do want to see because I think that is something that can transfer over game to game, based on what happens in this one game. Yeah, I agree with that. And and again, I think it's a situation where. We don't necessarily want to see Seth Keller kicking a bunch of field goals because that means we're not scoring touchdowns. So what are we doing? Yeah. But it would be nice to you know have a chance to see the new go kicker one for and... one from fifty yards. Make <laughs> everybody feel want? great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go go tell Lance. Okay. Hey hey Lance, 
late it's in like the game. Second and ten at the thirty-three. Yeah, He's like, and, we're just bringing field goal yep, unit. Second out. and four at the thirty-three yard line. Seth, get in there, bud. <laughs> like, what are they doing? Ah, they just want to get some reps. All right, uh, we're gonna have Matt Tate on with us in about 15, 20 minutes from right now. KU announced some new game day stuff. We're gonna talk about that on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And joining us now on the show is Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com, where you can check out all of his work as we head into KU football season. It's game week for the Jayhawks this week. Um, depth chart came out on Monday for KU football. Uh, Matt, I, I got to tell you, we had an or listed next to your name with with another guest today. What what to you was the uh, most interesting, surprising, or unique thing about the KU football depth chart for you? Yeah, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of stuff that made sense, and there's a lot of stuff that you kind of figure is is just sort of uh, I don't know what you would even call it, but paper paperwork, right? Like it's on paper, and we'll see how a lot of it plays out. I think. The number one thing is a lot of those oars, and, and, and Brian Borland talked about this today, uh, the defensive coordinator, a lot of those oars are, are depth things, right? Like if you've got – an oar either means you don't know who the heck you've got at the position or you've got two guys you like at the position or three guys you like at the position. And most years over the past 10, 12 years, there have been a lot of bad oars on that KU depth chart. Um, but this year I think you know their claim is that those are depth – fours and depth pieces and 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 i i legitimately believe them i don't think that that's crazy to think about um what we need to find out now with some of those positions is are they able to play at this level some of them are newcomers some of them are young guys whatever it is but the the biggest question about that isn't you know how do they compete within their own team but can they play at this level so we won't know the answer to that for i don't know at least a week probably two three four weeks really um so Right now, I'm willing to take it at face value that, that they do feel good about a couple of guys at a couple of spots, and, uh, and, and they're hoping that you know that, that continues throughout the season. Um, the, the biggest one that jumped out to me, and I'm probably somewhat alone on this, but uh, the biggest one that jumped out to me was, was that tight end. You got Mason Fairchild as a senior starter, and then after that, you had Trevor Cardell and um, Jared Casey, and it, it was an or separated their names. Um, man, the fact we all know about Jared Casey, right? Like we know what his, what his ability is. We know that he became a a monster and a cult hero and all that stuff. And he's a really talented football player for them to have two guys, potentially two guys that are ahead of him on the depth chart. That blew my mind. I mean, I I think that, um, it doesn't surprise me because I know that Cardell and and Fairchild can both play and, uh, they're going to use all three of them, but there's just something strange when you think about how, how big Jared Casey's role was in, in sort of sparking this turnaround and the, the talent and versatility that he brings to the field um, for him to be kind of that third guy on that, on that list was, it just looks strange. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it will, it will affect how any of them are used or anything like that. It just, it jumped out at me. Yeah, no, I, I found that very interesting too. I didn't know if that was a, a nod maybe to Jared Casey being more of that H-back, fullback kind of type tight end where Cardell maybe is more of the traditional tight end and, and maybe it's a usage thing. But yeah, I found that interesting as well. Um, you wrote a cool article, r1s1sports.com, about the 1% better mantra that we hear about, we see about. It's it's written all over the KU football building. And, you know, it is kind of a, a coach speak thing, but it is something that, 
they live by and they try to look at the process over the results in that way. You kind of dove deeper into what that exactly means for KU football. What was your biggest takeaway from putting that piece together about that mantra and the team? Yeah, I've loved that that idea um, since they started talking about the 1% thing. I've I've wanted to find time to do that and ask a bunch of guys and dive into that. So it was it was a lot of fun to do. And, uh, I, you know, I think the thing that jumped out to me the most was that they, they actually do believe it's measurable. Um, and some of that means, uh, you know, of course, increasing your 40 time by 1%. Some of it means adding weight to a lift by 1%. And, uh, you know, of course, you can you can kind of figure that one out as as we're talking about this but if you add one percent to your max bench press every day not too many days down the road it's going to be pretty heavy you know one percent one percent one percent one percent so you know to me it it, it sounds it, it sounds good i think it is something they've bought into and and there are ways to measure it but um strength coach matt gildersleeve and and even a few of the players also kind of made sure to point out that you know, it's conceptual as much as anything. So there are ways to measure it. There are ways beyond just numbers that they measure it. Um, but it, it is more than anything just a concept and just that idea of continuing to push yourself and here's why and here's how you do it. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was cool. I mean, like the I think the 40 example that I gave was lowering your 40 time from 4.85 to 4.8. You know, that doesn't sound crazy. It doesn't sound all that difficult. It could be the difference between what you ate for lunch that day or, or the wind. And, uh, you know, there's things like that, that, that I think really spoke to these guys when they started kind of trying to attack this thing under Lance Leipold and his coaching staff, they realized that the goal of course is to make this huge turnaround and be a, a legitimate contender again. And all those things that everybody wants, but you're not going to get there overnight. And, and I think that this 1%, mentality really made improvement and progress attainable for these guys and it put them it put it in terms that they could actually not only comprehend very easily but also felt like they could achieve and so uh, i think it's cool and obviously the results speak for themselves um it's worked regardless of if you like it or not or if it would work somewhere else it has worked at kansas and and um you know they're not even remotely ready to ditch it yet because, as you know, those guys don't feel like they've done anything yet. And so they continue to press forward with the idea of 1% better every day. And Devin Neal had a cool concept on this, too. He, you know, he basically said, it's one thing for me to get 1% better. And, and let's take that 40 time, for example. You know, if that means it's, it's a, you know, 0.05 improvement on his 40 time, how much better does that really make the team or him? You know, I don't know that that answer is, is very much, but you know, the way Devin looks at it is if he gets 1% better here and then, you know, 50, 60, 70 of his teammates get better 1% in, in a certain area in their games, then all of a sudden collectively for that day, your team took a pretty big jump and, and a significant step forward. So it is somewhat just concept and approach and how you how you view it and what what you kind of put into it but um there is some measurable stuff there too and and it was fun to look at this uh works out because i was going to ask you this today and then i saw the article came out anyway uh with your season win loss prediction so what is the official prediction for you perfect i love it yeah i uh man i'll tell you what if we go back to spring football um, and probably on your show, even maybe 
January, February, March, if we were talking any football back then. Um, I, I was cautioning people to, you know, be careful with their predictions and their expectations for this team. Um, you know, six wins last year was great, but it was a one in seven finish, and everybody knows that. And um, there were some games that they weren't really close in, and and so I think that. The, the average fan is kind of like, well, they got the six now. Where do we go from here? Well, seven or eight has to be. You know, you can't go back. And, and I think teams go back all the time, and, and especially after kind of quote-unquote magical seasons like KU had. So back in the spring, I, I was probably willing to sit there on the four-five line um, and not, not a knock on these guys, nothing like that. I just, I just think that people should be cautious about it. But I'll tell you what, man, after seeing this camp and talking to these guys almost every day throughout the month of August and just feeling the energy around it and, and kind of understanding where they're at with their confidence and, and their beliefs, uh, this team has absolutely made a believer out of me. And uh, I, I think that a lot of the, the equation about how good a team can be is how good they think they can be. And uh, this team thinks they can be really, really good. They think they can win every game. And so um, that, that – pushed me over the edge and that pushed me to uh, a prediction that's far different than it would have been in the spring. And so I've officially got them eight and four this season. And if they do that, um, this thing's going to really take off. I think that that would really boost recruiting. I think obviously they've got some serious facility upgrades and renovations and things that they're working on. And, and if, if they can go eight and four this season, uh, I don't think money for those things will be an issue whatsoever. People will be, fully into this program and excited about it and ready to do their part to uh, make sure that they keep going in the right direction. So eight and four uh, with losses to Texas, uh, Texas Tech, K-State, and Oklahoma State. That's my four. I've got them beating OU at home, which is sort of a you know dream scenario, right? Like everybody would love to send Texas and Oklahoma off on a loss. Um, I don't think KU can get it done in Austin. Uh, I, I mean, if they show up and play a certain way, they, they certainly can, but I don't know that it's a safe one to predict. Um, but there's something about that OU game that has me believing that can be a win. And, and look, they've only been with Texas since the 90s. You know, um, their, their, their partnership and, and brotherhood with OU dates back to the 1920s and, and the Big Six Conference and you know, there's something about just really wanting to send this this OU program off to the SEC with a with a loss, saying good riddance, we don't care about you anymore, get out of here. And uh, you know what, we'll see. Uh, maybe they get both, maybe they get neither. But um, I think that'd be really cool. And and if it were me, if you had to pick one or the other, I'd pick OU for sure. Was there one of those games? Maybe it is OU. Uh, that that it was maybe the toughest game for you to predict. The game that you kept going back and forth over the most. Yeah, man, K-State. There's no doubt about it. Like, I I really think they can beat K-State. I love that the game is here this year. Um, I love that this program, you know, has shown that they're gaining on them a little bit in the past few years. But at the same time, until it happens, it's hard to pick. It's, 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 uh, it's one of those things that K-State is typically just so fundamentally sound and, and their, their culture and their program is, is so much better more established and uh, a lot of times that makes the difference so um i you know and, and that's what's weird about my uh my prediction i i mean i've got them at eight and four with back-to-back home losses in november to texas tech and k-state and uh 
you know, they've been really good at home. They were really good at home last year. So if either of those go the other way, um, you know, maybe, maybe things, maybe things go a little different even than I see, but uh, that was definitely the toughest one because, you know, you, you want to, you want to pick it. You want to say they got a shot at it. And I do think they have a shot at it, but uh, for me, I just, it's been so long. We've got to see it before I start picking it. If, if you were looking at the ceiling versus floor outcome of this outside of the prediction, what do you think the high point they can get to? And, and what do you think the low point would be this year? I, I definitely think the low point is, is the bigger of the two. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy to think what I was kind of talking about with my, my synopsis of spring football, uh, football, a tough, tough game. And, and they're in a loaded conference. And so, you know, could they win four or five games and miss a bowl game? I, I definitely think that could happen. Um, the, the, there's just no nights off. And, and especially when you look at week two next Friday, uh, when, when Illinois comes to town, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of dramatic to say it, but I, I think in a lot of ways that week two Illinois game could really determine their entire season. I think if they win it, um, I, I think then you're looking at a three and O start, maybe a four and O start with BYU being your conference opener and at home. And as we know, four and O can take you places. Um, but if you lose that game to Illinois week two, then you're one and one and, you start maybe having some doubts that weren't there throughout the off season and you, you wonder, and, and now you go on the road week three and, and then it's conference play. So I, I think that game is massive um, just for the whole outlook of the season. But I, I think that probably when you look at um, my prediction, anyway, the eight and four, and like I said, I think four or five wins is probably the floor. Um, I guess we can put it at four um, and, and the ceiling Man, it's it's hard to say. It's much higher than eight or nine. I, I just you know, I mean, mine has a win over Oklahoma in there, right? And uh, and I, I just you know, could could they get to eight or nine? I think so, but ten seems a little a little high. Um, so I would say it's probably nine. So a ceiling of nine and a, and a floor of four. Which look right, like I know there's some people that probably think it's way higher and way lower. And the fact of the matter is um, we're talking about a team that didn't win more than three games for a long, long time until last season. And, and right now we've got their floor and their ceiling numbers well above three. Um, that's progress. And, and so to me, this season is big. This season is huge for momentum and, and continued sustained progress and forward growth and all that stuff. But, I also think that this program is, is set up in a way right now that it's a little bit insulated from even if they do only win four or five games, I don't think that means that we're, we're back to ushering in an era of total ineptitude or anything like that. I, I think that they can recover much more quickly from a rough season, especially if you look at how those losses may, may come. If they're in a bunch of games and they lose some close ones, which – they were in a bunch of games last year and they won some close ones. So, um, you know, if, if they're able to do that in, in, in sort of a, a competitive manner, then I, I don't think no matter what happens this year that anything should be um, overwhelming or, or a concrete statement made about this is what's happening with the program now. I think what's happening with the program right now is it's headed in the right direction, and I think that'll be the case no matter what the win-loss total is this year. I think they continue to build. They continue to grow. 
and, and they've got a coaching staff that's really good at what they do and, and knows what they're doing and, and a bunch of players who have bought in. So when you have those things, things continue to go better for you and tend to work out. So I, I think this is a big year for all of the excitement and the, and the buzz and the momentum and all of that stuff that we've seen. But, you know, if, if it is closer to that four, five, six win total and, and doesn't get up to eight, nine or whatever, I, I don't think that's reason to panic by any means. Well, clearly by you picking them to win eight games, you're comfortable with whatever's going on with Jalen Daniels in his back. Um, listed as a starter on the depth chart. Kind of got some, I don't, I don't know, the comments from Lance Leipold this week did make it sound like yeah, there is confidence that he'll be the starter, but also, I don't know, it's kind of weird in, in how some of those comments came about and the, the wordings of, of certain things. Uh, any concern at all for you with Jalen Daniels' back and, and health situation going into the year? I don't feel it. Um, you know, I think he's such an important player and, and it's such an important position that it'd be crazy to say there was, there was no concern when you're talking about any kind of injury, even, you know, a pinky nail or something like that. Um, so I get it. I see that you, that you have to worry some, but everybody I've talked to, everything I hear, everybody that every time it gets brought up, it, it just doesn't seem like they're overly concerned about it. And so, um, it'll be good to see him out there Friday. It'll be good to see if, if, if any of us see with our own eyes, any limitations or gosh, he just doesn't quite look right or something like that. But I can tell you for sure that they wouldn't put him out there if he wasn't quite right. You know, they have Jason Bean. They feel really good about him as a backup and, and a guy who can win them football games, and he's shown he has the ability to do that. So uh, if Jalen can't go or isn't 100% or there's any risk of putting him out there, I don't think they would. And so I think that as much as anything, that's probably the number one thing that's worth remembering is that, you know, that they don't want anything worse to happen to him. So they will protect him at all costs. And, you know, the best-case scenario would be he plays a quarter and a half or two quarters and they're up so big that Bean gets to take it home from there, and and everybody's happy with the outcome, and then he gets another week of treatment, and and then he's ready to go for Illinois. So, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, they, they seem to have a ton of respect for this Missouri State team. There's there's uh, some unknowns with with Missouri State with a new coaching staff and a uh, you know largely new roster, and so you know they, they're expecting a team that comes in here you know ready to ready to fight them and, and not just. Uh, a pushover or anything like that. So, you know, if Jalen has to play all four quarters, they'll play him all four quarters as long as he's able to go. So I don't feel the concern. I don't think that anybody else should be overly worried about it either. I mean, if he's good enough to start, then, then he's fine. And, uh, and, and we'll see, we'll see what it looks like when, uh, when Friday night rolls around. And, and obviously that'll be a position everybody's watching very closely. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work with r1s1sports.com. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a great rest of your week. We got football back. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they look like and seeing if this uh, in any way looks or feels different. A lot of those guys we talked to today, um, you know, they said last year the goal was to entering the season was to kind of make a statement and show people that they can win games. And uh, now they know they can, and so the goal is to go win as many as they can. And I think that's cool. I think that, that sets them up for a very different season and a very different approach, and, and I think it puts them in position where talking about an 8-4 and four record does not sound crazy, which just a year or two ago that would have sounded totally crazy. So 
progress, man. They're making progress, and uh, it'll be fun out there Friday night. Looking forward to it. That's right. Thanks again, Matt. All right, Derek. Thanks. That was Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We got Andy Kotelnicki audio. We got some uh, Chiefs updates with them having to get down on cutdown day. We got some more KU football audio. Brian Borland, KU football superlatives. Plenty more on this edition of the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. We got high school football kicking off on Thursday night. Free State going to be on the road. Nick's going to be on the call with Craig Hershiser. Who? I hope you. I, oh, do me? Do you not know it's you? Oh. No, I knew me. No, it's Okay, right. good. That'll be at 7 o'clock right here on KLWN <laughs> pregame 645. Then on Friday, Lawrence High is going to kick off their season. That'll be on 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com with Sam Speck and Matt Llewellyn on the call at 7. Because right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS will be airing the KU football game. And before the KU football game, for pregame starts at 5.30, we're going to be doing our show live, RCST at Big Mill from 3 to 5.30. So come on out. We have a bunch of NASCAR Kansas Speedway tickets we're going to be giving away. Yep, we have a lot of different prizes we're giving away. But, yeah, the, the tickets are the most notable ones for it's for the Xfinity race on Saturday, September 9th. So it could be a great opportunity to get out and uh, enjoy the race. I, myself, have been to Kansas Speedway multiple times, and I've always had a great time uh, going there. I Actually, I went, to the, I went to the race in the spring, and uh, – it's really loud. <laughs> it's loud. Okay. The cars are loud or the people are loud? The cars are loud. Oh, or both. Both. Well, <laughs> but yeah, the cars are, but, but what, you can't hear the people because the cars are so loud. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. I would I would definitely recommend it. Uh, you know, NASCAR is really cool. I went it's a, deaf, it's, but it's, I would recommend it. It's an event that is a lot different when you go in person versus watching it on TV because it is really different to be to feel like the energy of like, you know, yeah. everything. It's, it's cool. Well, and no better way to go than if you're on the fence and you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to go or not. But then if you're like, oh, it's free? It's okay. free. Well, yeah. All you got to do to get your free tickets, come by our event at Big yes. Mill. Specifically, yes. that'll be between 4.30 and 6.30 for you to get those. But we'll yes. be out there live from, yep. from 3 o'clock. So if you come on. by and, and stop by uh, and we're on the air, mm-hmm. just you know, don't talk to us. But yes. wait until we're off the air. <laughs> yes. Then we can talk to you. Now, maybe then again, we will be giving away KU football tickets too. True. Yeah. Now that I'm going to make people answer like a trivia question. Uh, maybe that we'll have a stick mic for, and we can make them answer it on air. Oh, Depending. that'd be cool. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, Give that'd us be fun. some free content, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs had their cut day today, and it started out with them trading Amir Smith-Marset to the Carolina Panthers uh, basically for a conditional seventh. The way I understand it is that the, if the Panthers have a better pick than the Chiefs, which you would assume they, they will— um, then they'll basically be swapping sevenths. If not, then they'll get nothing out yeah. of the deal. So if the Panthers are really bad, which they probably are not going to be very good, this could be the Chiefs moving up like 15 sure. to 20 spots in the seventh, in the seventh round. round. It's not a big deal. But it's basically they weren't going to be able but to it's keep like, exactly. it's like Exactly. It's like you cut them and then nothing, or you move up 15 spots right. in the seventh round. Yes. Well, I, I guess we'll take the sure. other one. Yeah, why not? It is unfortunate, though. He had a really good preseason that they couldn't make it work. They just had too many receivers, too many guys that, yeah. that they were able to go to, yeah, uh, we, including Justin Ross, who made it. Yeah. Yeah, but we talked about this yesterday, but, I mean, I really do not envy any NFL GM or coach or, you know, staff right now during this time period because there's a lot of players. I mean, listen, the Chiefs have easily a dozen players that you could say, man, that guy that guy just probably deserves to be on a roster. And there's just not enough space. There's just not enough space. You know, it's it's a tough day. It's 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 tough because you know you have to have those conversations with guys of, you know, hey, listen, you deserve to be in the league, but sorry, we can't make it work for you. So it's it's tough, and uh, you know, it's a tough day all around. But it's 
if you look at it from the other perspective, though, from the Chiefs' perspective, you want it to be tough, right? You want it to be like, oh, gosh, I wish we didn't have to cut all these guys because that means you have a lot of depth of talent on your roster and you're feeling good about heading into the season. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way about the receivers. We'll still see. I, I think Nico Remigio, who was also kind of a camp standout before he got hurt, he uh, he has some sort of injury. He got waived with like injury status. So we'll see if they're able to bring him back too, because I mean that that could have made the receiver room even deeper that much more. But I think with Justin Ross, he was the guy a lot of people were really harping on because he was making highlight plays. We know his story yeah. that he went from being this guy who was projected to be a first round pick to all of a sudden undrafted because of some of the health things. Yeah, and and all along the way, I have been very hesitant to be like, okay, like come on, this is just the training camp thing. He's continued to pass through, and he continues to make plays in preseason. I I don't think he's going to be you know a I starter mean, dude, or anything. This is like the same that. guy that torched Alabama in the national title it game is. as a freshman. It is, and, and know, so with the talents there, you know, was was playing the same level that T Higgins was on the same team. You know yeah. what I mean? And in certain ways, was outshining T Higgins, and we know how good T Higgins is. Yeah. Um, now it's it's a different path, and you deal with some of the injuries along the way. I still don't know that I'm buying into Justin Ross being in, uh, a player that's going to make a ton of plays over the course of the season. I think this is probably going to be more in the the ilk of like Jody Fortson. You get all this hype for Jody Fortson every year at the fan base, and he's good for a couple touchdown receptions. He's good to make a couple big plays over the course of the season, right? Sure. But over the long haul, it's like, well, He's not going to be like a go-to primary target every game. It's like he'll have one touchdown every six or seven games. You know what I mean? Could That's be. how I feel about Justin Ross. Where yeah. He'll still be a useful player. He'll still be helpful for you in a lot of ways. I still am not to the point where some of the hype is where it's like, oh, this is a, this is a guy. You know? I mean, he has a great story. It is. You know? So and yeah, you're he, for him. yeah, it's a great story. You you want him to have, you want him to be successful with you know a lot of the mental stuff that I'm sure he's gone through with injuries and whatnot. I mean, listen. That stuff has got to wear on you mentally. So to have the to have the mental fortitude to continue to fight back and to get through that and to get to where he is now, that's pretty impressive. So I root for him to, to be successful for the Chiefs, and, and hopefully he he does have some success this season and can become maybe uh, a piece of the wide receiver room because without Kadarius Tony and with Rusty Rice struggling and Sky Moore maybe not quite flashing the way maybe you hoped he would at this you know going into his second season, you're gonna need some. Need some help. You need some guys to step up there. So maybe it is Justin Ross, but uh, yeah, it's it's a great story, and I'm I'm glad it's worked out. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a pretty deep receiver room. We'll, we'll now wait and see what happens with Kadarius Tony. I think it was James Palmer on NFL Network the other day that said that Chiefs are kind of optimistic that he'll be back by Week One. So we'll I'm see. sure they are. I'm sure they are. <laughs> you are not optimistic. No. Or wait, actually, no. I feel like well, I'm not not. You would be optimistic that if he's back, he's back. But you would probably be not optimistic that he'll be healthy by week two. Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not not optimistic. Uh-huh. But what what I am is, I am pessimistic about the Chiefs being optimistic. <laughs> Does that make sense? I guess. Please explain. I I I don't. The, I think if the Chiefs say they're optimistic, to me that means it's bad. Why? <laughs> Because they're trying to cover up the fact that he's just going to be hurt again. Okay. Or I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't trust anything the Chiefs say about Kadarius Tony. All right. That's fine. Uh, some of the notable cuts today. I'm not going to go through everyone. Just maybe the more of the notable ones. Shane Bouchelle. Yeah. That sucks. I mean, he really. He really like. He had the backup quarterback job. A chance to get it. It seems like he did. Yeah. He did. If you perform well. And then. Then it was the opposite of good. He sucked. Yes. Or was it always going to be Blaine Gabbard? Well, I think Blaine Gabbert. I, I, it's no, not like Blaine Gabbert was very impressive. He wasn't, but he was still better than Shane Bouchel. I, I think here's what it was: Shane Bouchel had done enough over the course of his first few years with the Chiefs to be like Andy Reid. 
I'm going to give him one shot here. And that's why he started him in the third week or the the week three preseason game over Blaine Gabbert. He was basically saying, I, again, I don't know that that was necessarily, necessarily indicative he was ahead of Blaine Gabbert, and that's why he started him, or if it was more of what I'm about to say, which is he was giving him a shot to say, it is close between you and Blaine Gabbert for the backup job. I'm going to give you your opportunity right now. You're going to play with the ones. You're going to play against the ones. And if you perform well, here's your opportunity to, to jump over him and get the backup job. He did not play well. In fact, he struggled. And so he got cut. We'll see if they – I'm sure they'll try to bring him back as like a practice squad guy. Yeah, I was a bit surprised to see Danny Shelton cut, especially considering the fact that you're not going to have Chris Jones at least yeah. to start the year. I thought he was so pretty good in the preseason. You would maybe keep a, some interior D guys. Now, but they traded for that guy from the Raiders. They did. Now, it's, it's interesting it, when you look at how they phrased it. They have certain ones that they said they put on waivers, and they had other ones they said that were released. Yeah, I don't know how that works, to be honest. Because basically that tells me is they're trying to bring him back. They're hoping he clears through, nobody picks him up, and then they bring R- him back. R.I.P. Daniel Wise, he didn't make it either. He did not. Danny Shelton, though, was part of the, the release side. Yeah, Daniel Wise, that's unfortunate, KU. Echo Boy Doe, who's a former Kansas State but Lawrence High player, he didn't make it, so he didn't have that local side of it either. LaMichael Pirine, that one was surprising to me. It seemed like, I, I thought he was going to make it over Daenerys Prince. You can't keep a million running backs. No, but I thought he was going to make it over Daenerys Prince. Oh, well, I mean... I think you have to look at Daenerys Prince as a rookie and hang on to him instead of a guy that's in his, I think Michael Pirine's in his third or third, fourth like that. year. I don't know, man. I thought Pirine was way better than Daenerys Prince, especially that last preseason game. He was getting all the reps over Prince, too. Yeah, yeah. That no, was kind of weird. But. Darian Kennard was kind of a surprise one, too. He was your former, like, you know, I, I think what, what ruins Darian Kennard was Trey Smith. You had, uh, what year did they draft Trey Smith? Was that 2020 or 2021? Whatever year it was, Trey Smith gets drafted in the sixth round. And a lot of people before the, you know, maybe a month before the draft thought Trey Smith would be like a second or third round pick. Yeah. He ends up falling, maybe some medical issues, whatever the reason was. He had some heart issues. Yeah. Uh, But he was like a former all-SEC guard and, you know, coming into even the college football season, Trey Smith's last, like some people were saying he might be a first round pick. Darian Kennard, same thing. Some people were saying he might be a first round pick coming into his last year of school. Then it comes a month before the draft. It's like, oh, maybe he'll be a third or fourth round pick. Ends up in the draft. I don't remember why he fell, uh, but being fifth or sixth round pick for the Chiefs. And it was like, oh, this is Trey Smith all over again. Like, how did they get this guy again? And it just hasn't really worked out. Uh, but he was someone who, you know, I, I thought would at least make the roster this year. So that was kind of surprising. <clears throat> You're wrong. You did mention you did mention the uh, the trade they made with the Raiders. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the guy they got. What was that guy's name? Neil Farrell. Or it might be yeah. Farrell. Yeah, so he's a D-lineman. Defense tackle Defense for the tackle. Raiders. He was yeah. a fourth-round pick. In the 2022 draft. So this will be his second year in the NFL. Yeah, um, It is interesting the Chiefs had to give up a sixth for him. I think that's probably indicative that the Chiefs were like, we'll give you a seventh for him. And the Raiders were like, no, we'd rather not help the team in our division. And then they're like, fine, we'll give you a sixth. And they're like, okay. You know, <laughs> probably what happened there. Um, so anyway, Neil Farrell is not someone who, I don't know, jumps off the page. He's a, he's a well, former yeah, yeah, LSU like, player. Again, it's like, if you were going to trade for him, why wouldn't you just keep Danny Shelton? Or keep, you know, somebody else? It's a fair question. I, I think probably the answer lies in there's probably a higher ceiling here, maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, again, he was a, he was a fourth-round pick is back his in ceiling, Is his ceiling Chris Jones, you think? No, I would highly <laughs> doubt that. Well, then what are we doing? I don't know. By the way, his pro football focus numbers, yeesh. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to mention these. They're Brett, really bad. Did Brett Veach look at those before he made probably the trade? Probably not. I mean, it's only 158 snaps, which is not like a lot, but it's also not like minuscule. Yeah. 35.5. <laughs> Ugh. 
That team's not very We'll good. see, though. We'll see, though. That was only his first year as a rookie. 6'4", 325 pounds. Some of the scouting reports I've read on him going back to his days at college more so describe him as being like a run-stuffing nose tackle. I kind of think, like, ideally he would be like... Do you remember Mike Pennell? Yeah. Or Pennell, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. He kind of came in back half of the, the year that they won the Super Bowl in 2020, so the 19 season 20 Super Bowl. Um, and he was just like a good run-stuffing defensive tackle. I mean, if, if that's what he can be, then that's fine, yeah. especially yeah. for a six-round pick. Like, yeah. That's fine. I am not going to have a take one way or the other about the trade. Like, no, like, I... Yeah, whatever, exactly. fine. It's it's small. It's... it's my take, it's my take is Chris Jones, come back. Yes. That's my take. But see, okay, that's, that's what I find most interesting here. This trade, to me, indicates... That Chris Jones is not coming back. Yes. At least they, they don't feel like he's coming back. Correct. Yes. Now, the ultimate move they could make to really say we don't think this is getting done or he's coming back is if they rearrange somebody else's contract to be able to afford like a bringing back Carlos Dunlap or well, bringing they, in... I don't know who they can restructure. I don't know. Maybe more on they Mahomes have like, or something. They have like $3 available, right? That's now. what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I'm sure they could restructure someone. That's kind of where it comes into play, though, because part of the idea of giving Chris Jones the extension Was is it, it would open up you up... a bunch up, of money. Right, to bring in a Carlos Dunlap or yes. some other journeyman defensive... Melvin Ingram still out there. Yes. Um, to bring in another pass rusher, especially with Charles O'Menehue. Which I have no doubt that Chris Jones and his camp are very much aware of that yes. fact, and so they are leveraging that against the Chiefs, I'm sure. Yes. Now, what the Chiefs could have leveraged today, but I don't think the leveraging worked, Apparently, there's something in his contract that if he did not report by the end of today, then the Chiefs can apply for a clause in that contract that they can hold him on reserve, which keep in mind, on the listing when they go through the cuts, they said reserve slash did not report. So I think this classifies for that, but I'm not totally sure that they can put him on that reserve list. And if you go on that reserve list, that means the Chiefs are saying you are not going to play in the first two weeks of the season. And by him not doing that, that would mean he would not count toward a roster spot the first two weeks of the season. But he also can't play the first two weeks of the season. Also means he wouldn't get paid the first two weeks of the season. And it's been a costly holdout for Chris Jones. It was $50,000 a day. I think it's already racked up to about $1.6, yeah. $1.7 oh, million. Well over a million, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're not getting your game checks for your first two, which even on the contract he's making now, I mean, that's probably a million amount. and a half, yeah, something a like that. Decent amount. That he's making for, so you're looking at $3 million of game checks in addition to the holdout money. You're going to be losing over $5 million at this point. That becomes very interesting. And at this point, if they have played him on the reserve, even if he does sign the contract now, he can't get off that reserve. He's been placed on it. So it is pretty clear to me the Chiefs are moving forward, starting to, as basically saying we're not expecting Chris Jones. And yeah, if that yeah, other this, move happens where sucks, they man. restructure Patrick Mahomes or somebody else to make a little more money happen, that's probably clear indication that the Chris Jones thing ain't going to happen. No, like, yeah, for sure. This, this sucks. Like, I am officially to the stage of I'm just mad. I'm just mad at the world. Like what? Like this sucks. Like yeah. what are we doing? We're gonna the D line, the defense is just gonna be bad. That's the thing. Like you could convince me that Chris Jones, if he's back on the defense, this could be a top ten defense this year. Potentially might not be, but you had a lot of young players With last no year. With no Chris Jones, they're what? They're bottom ten. They're bottom ten, yes. if not worse. Yes, potentially. Which is a problem. And I've always wanted to see Patrick Mahomes with a good defense. I think that'd be a lot of fun, <laughs> don't you? Uh, yeah, fine, sure. I, now, to that same vein, we've seen Patrick Holmes with bad defenses, and the Chiefs are fine, fine. so I think yes. they're still going to be fine overall. But you know the Bills and the Bengals, those teams are, are close to the Chiefs. Yeah. Chris Jones not having him, that's the You lose the AFC Championship last year without Chris Jones, right? Yes. So it might not matter in terms of the Chiefs winning the division or the Chiefs winning 10, 12 games, 
but it could matter in the playoffs. It could yeah. matter in a divisional round game. It could matter in a AFC championship game. It could matter on the margins for if you so, make it to the Super Bowl. Let me or ask not. you this. Mm-hmm. I think it I think at this stage, one of two things is happening. Either Brett Veach is egregiously lowballing, or Chris Jones is just I, I don't know. He's just trying to flex his I don't I the 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 hard part of this situation is I'm I'm struggling more and more every day to figure out what Chris Jones' angle is. Because if 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 the Chiefs are off, if the Chiefs offer is like twenty six million a year, twenty seven million a year, twenty eight million a year, let's say it's in that range. Let's say it's between twenty six and twenty eight million a year. That's only you know two three million less than what Aaron Donald is getting, right? And it's more than Quinn Williams. Quinn Williams' deal I think was like twenty four. Okay, I think that's the problem. I think the Chris so, Jones camps wants it to be Aaron Donald, and the Chiefs are saying we'll give you more than Quinn and Williams. Yeah, but so I think but, the gap my would question be is, are the 31. Chiefs saying we'll give you more than Quinn and Williams, as in we'll give you twenty five million a year? Or the Chiefs saying yeah. we'll give you more than Quinton Williams and we'll give you $28 million a year. That's a big difference. If they are saying 28 so That's the thing. It, I'm, I'm starting to come around to this idea of what if the Chiefs are just egregiously lowballing them? Because I, I don't yeah. understand why else. I mean, if, if they're even remotely close in terms of the numbers, like again, let's say it's, let's say the Chiefs are like, we'll give you 27 and Chris Jones wants, you know, 29, right? That's one just thing. Settle at 28. Exactly. Right. Like, it's not you, that big You of should be able to figure yeah. that out. So that's where I'm confused. It, it, no, I think you're right. It must be the Chiefs must Veach must be egregiously lowballing at this point. Way, I, I don't know what else. Yeah. I don't know how else to look at it. The way I see it is they're they're going maybe it's the 25 range where it's exactly. slightly above exactly. and, and he and, wants and he wants 30. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's there's a difference there. You know, 28, 27, 28 to 30 is that you should right. be able to negotiate that. 25 to 30. The other piece of this is the guaranteed money. What if it's yeah. like remember the Orlando Brown cut? That's why that didn't happen. They gave him the per money he wanted uh, when he before last year. Um, but it wasn't enough guaranteed money. What if they're basically only guaranteeing two years, whereas Quinn and Williams basically got See, three that's years? stupid. I think with the Chris Jones situation, I agree. you would just guarantee everything up front. Yeah, and, because and I he's don't probably want- not going to be as good in the few in you know three years. So if you sign him to an, a you know a three or four year extension, I, if I were the Chiefs, I would say give him all the money he wants. Sure. You know, back up the Brinks truck for the first year, and then after that, you can maybe get off. You know, maybe he falls off a cliff, and you can you know get off with the rest of it. You know. Yeah, I agree. I I do not want to see the defense without Chris Jones. So I would just say pony up and pay the thirty million a year. I don't really mind. Uh, that. Yeah, I. If it's the difference between you not having a Marquez Valdez Scantling or a Justin Watson, like whatever, just get it done. Yeah, you know? I, I I don't know honestly. Honestly, I don't know at this point. All right. I just I, my my guess is that Veach. Would like you I trade said, Chris Jones right now for a first round pick? For a first round pick? Yes, but you wouldn't have it till next offseason. I don't think anybody's offering him a first round pick. I'm just saying hypothetically. Chance. You. You were the GM, you get offered that. You won't have the first till next spring, so it doesn't help you this year. But it's uh I would I would maybe do that. You would? Maybe. Okay. What about Jonathan Taylor and a fourth? No. Okay. We don't the Chiefs don't need Jonathan Taylor. I'm just finding Plus, the range here. Jonathan Taylor, you're 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 trading for the same player, a guy who wants a bunch of money. <laughs> Oh, and it's, and, it's a, and it's a worse position to pay. <laughs> yes. That's really stupid. No. Right, I do not want Jonathan bringer. Taylor. I'm Derek Johnson. What I want is for Brett Veach to call Chris Jones and say, hey, we're going to pay you whatever. Get it done. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a timeout. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we got another edition of our KU Football Superlative segment. Then we're going to get to the Brian Borland audio. He met with the media earlier today. The KU defensive coordinator had a lot to say, so show uh, all that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here on RCST with KLWN. 
Uh, we have even more player audio to get to you from today as well, but we're still cycling through some of our player audio from KU Football Media Day. Had a chance to hear from a couple more offensive linemen, Kobe Baines and Mike Nowitzki. Nowitzki going to be the starting center for the third straight year, all Big 12 in the preseason. Uh, he's been an unbelievable player for KU since coming over to, to Buffalo and helping establish the Leipold era and just being a really productive player overall. Kobe Baines, meanwhile, a player who uh, is – you know, comes over from Louisville, really starts to see more playing time as last season goes on. You hear good things about him. So much so that, you know, it felt like he might even be a starter coming into the offensive line this year. But with all the depth and competition they have on that offensive line, ended up not being able to, to be into the starting five. He is one of the uh, players on the two deep, though, at the left guard position. I'd imagine he'll be somebody who is the backup at multiple positions, even if the two deep says this or that, that he'll be one of the first two linemen off the bench if somebody does have to go down or if he does have to rotate in. I think the staff does trust him very kindly, and he's also someone to keep an eye on, even if he's not a starter this year, to be a starter next year too because he is a uh, very talented player. But let's start with Mike Nowitzki. Here is our conversation with Mike speaking at KU Football Media Day about two weeks ago. This is, what, year three for you in camp at Kansas specifically? What's the biggest difference team-wise, coaching-wise, or just, I don't know, program-wise from the first one to this one? Um, I'd say the biggest one that sticks out to me is how we approach every day and, and how we're um, and how it's not just how we keep consistent effort and energy throughout the whole day. You know, you give all your best at practice and then you come back. Um, you know, we're watching film. We're seeing what we can get better at every every play. And then keeping that focus when we go to walkthroughs and kind of just keeping that focus throughout the day, that's been a big um, a big change. And just kind of our whole attitude. Uh, you know, we're more confident when we take the field. We, we know what we're, what we're doing now. We know how to do it. So I just think overall we're in a better shape. We've heard so much about your leadership and taking guys under your wings, whether it was at the beginning to get to know the staff and, and what they required to now. I just talked to Kobe, and he was saying he was someone that you helped him along. If players that you're going to be gone after this next year, is there anybody that comes to mind that you think is going to be ready to kind of assume that leadership position in the future? Yeah, I think Mike Ford will definitely be in, in that role uh, just with his experience and how he, how he leads in his own way. Mike Ford really sticks out to me. Um, guy right next to me, Armage, um, his, his ability to inspire the people around him and kind of give that confidence that he has and give it off to everybody else around him. Um, and he's a guy who does it right every day. Both of them do. So I, I, I would say both of them. We hear your nickname all the time, Dirk, because Dirk Nowitzki. Who's the best basketball player of the offensive lineman, though? Is it yourself? I'd have to say it myself, okay. right? <laughs> Can you hit the Dirk fadeaway? Yes. Yeah, you can't be called Dirk and, and not be able to pull that out of your back so, pocket. Uh, is there a reason you wear the number 50? Uh, no. No, it was kind of when I came here, uh, the number that I was wearing at Buffalo was already uh, taken and not that it really meant that much to me, but um, we kind of had a couple numbers here and I picked 50 and kind of just wore it. If you were stuck on an elevator, two of your teammates, one of them, who would be the most helpful or maybe helpful to get out or maybe just more, most entertaining until somebody shows up to help you guys? And who would be the one you would not want to be stuck on the elevator with? <laughs> well, I would want to be stuck with a guy like Mason Fairchild. Uh, smart and trustworthy. Um, I would not want to be stuck on the elevator with uh, Hank Kelly. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you just don't want two big guys in the elevator. <laughs> okay. All right, that was Mike Nowitzki, KU's starting center. 
as part of this and uh, gave some fun answers there for the elevator one. We heard a different one with Hank Kelly there, so I uh, got a little bit of a different name there, which I think that would go in line with the Tanaka Scott, you know, he's going to gas the place up comment. Like, I think that's why he went with Hank Kelly there. I, I could be off on that, but uh, yeah, Mike Nowitzki in store for another big season, uh, kind of leading the middle of that offensive line for KU. Kobe Baines, meanwhile, he's not going to be a starter right off the bat. It's entirely possible he eventually starts later in the season, and he's certainly one of the more trusted uh, linemen for KU coming off the bench. He'll be one of the first guys off at a couple different positions, I believe, this year. Someone who still has uh, high talent and gives more depth than talent into this offensive line room for KU football. Here is Kobe Baines speaking with the media at KU Football Media Availability. This is your kind of, I don't know, second year, first year, sort of. Uh, What do you consider this since you joined last season so late? Coach K actually just came to me. He said, he asked me, he's like, Kobe, how long you been here? I was like, uh, going on about nine months. And it was, uh, it it kind of moves fast. Like, you know, playing, playing last season and coming in during training camp and then kind of fast forward to kind of around the same time this year. And it's been great. You know, honestly, you know, Coach Leipold, Coach K, Coach Fuchs have been some of the best coaches I've had in my football career. So it's kind of, I would say it was a blessing to be here. Where are you most playing on the offensive line? Right now, right guard, uh, right tackle some reps, but, um, you know, I found like I found my niche a little bit, kind of with that right guard spot, and so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good year. How helpful is it to have you know as many productive running backs and skill players kind of around you guys that when you do open up holes, they're really gonna be able to take advantage of it? You know, I feel like honestly, like. We have probably four backs, four or five backs that you could really give the ball to in any situation and that they can get the play done confidently. You know, Sevion Morrison, Daniel Hyshaw, Devin Neal, even Dylan McDuffie, you know, like I think they're all they all have their individual roles, but they can all play. And so I think it's really as an offensive lineman it makes me happy because it's like Man, you give it to anyone and they'll go they'll go sixty. So is there any offensive lineman last year when you first came in during, you know, kind of late in fall camp that really helped you along and, and helped you along the season to get to know the playbook and just the ins and outs of everything the staff was looking for? Oh yeah, Mike Ford, um, DeAndre uh, DeAndre Dorian, uh, and uh, Mike Nowitzki, you know, some of the guys that really helped me. Don Pony, Bryce Cable, who really the whole unit kind of showed me love, you know, from the start and uh, you know, they've been a good job, you know, helping me out. Yeah, your name's Kobe. Does that give you, I don't know, Kobe Bryant's favorite athlete or anything yeah, like that? Co- yeah, yes, sir. Kobe Bryant's one of my favorite athletes. You know, I would say uh, he's someone I kind of look up to and the way he kind of handled and he respected a lot of people. And that's kind of what I kind of want to do in my life is he did a great job of of treating people how people should be treated. And so, you know, I kind of want to do that. You're wearing number 70. Any reason why does that number have any significance um, to you? It's significant because it's my father's birth year. And, you know, I kind of wanted to play for him every time I stepped out on the field. And so it was something that was big for me. Very cool. And uh, if you were trapped on an elevator with your teammates, you can have one that's going to best help the situation. So, you know, I don't know if it's getting out or just to entertain you until somebody shows up. And one that would be the worst to be on with. Who would that be? Hmm. Um, I would say the best one for sure would probably be Mike Nowitzki. Because he's like, you know, he's the brains of the operation. And then um, I would say, uh, I wouldn't say the worst one, but one I probably wouldn't want to be on is, uh, I don't know, like, uh, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Jamil, the one that just came in, uh, you know, it'd be kind of fun with him or... Uh, I don't know. Kobe Bryant or would be another one, too. It'd, it'd be a loud time with him. So what about Kobe has 
on, has him on the, it would make it a little tougher in the elevator. He has the energy about him. You know, uh, Kobe, uh, you know, he plays he plays with great energy. He's a great, he's a big energy guy. And so sometimes it can be, you know, a little overwhelming. All right, that was Kobe Baines, who will have a, uh, certainly he'll, he'll play. He'll be somebody who's getting on the field, but being a, a starter or whatnot, that might have to wait till next year, or it might be dependent on an injury, or if somebody's struggling early on in the season. But he has certainly proven his, his worth to uh, be on that two deep and, and be, if you know not a starter, which he's not right now, be close to it. And uh, certainly you feel good about this KU offensive line depth and some of the guys that you have in that room, including Kobe Baines. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down in the show, one more to go. We got our KU football superlative segment coming up. Then after that, we're going to get to audio from Brian Borland, the KU football defensive coordinator, spoke with the media earlier today. So we'll share that for you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't forget, you can check out anything you missed on the Best of RCST podcast, wherever you get any of your podcasts, and now at KUSports.com. Also, our upcoming show schedule for the rest of the week will be uh, 3 to 6 tomorrow as well as Thursday. Friday's show is going to only be 3 to 5.30. The reason is we're going to have uh, KU football. So on Thursday night, we're going to have your Free State football season opener. That'll be right here on KLWN, pregame 645, first kick at 7 o'clock with Nick Springer and Craig Hershiser on the call here on KLWN for the Firebirds on the road to open up the season. Lawrence High Chesty Lions won't play till Friday. That game will be on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. Again, 7 o'clock kick, 645 pregame start with Sam Speck and Matt Llewellyn on the call of that one. Meanwhile, your KU football can be heard right here on KLWN. Pre-game starting at 5.30, first kick at 7 o'clock. You can also hear the KU football game over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS, and you can stream both games on either website or either app of KLWN or 105.9 KISS. Um, our show on Friday is going to be out live at Big Mill. We'll be there 3 to 5.30. There's going to be a KISS remote there going on from 4.30 to 6.30, and they're going to have the prize wheel spinning to win free goodies, including KU football tickets. So that's what's upcoming the rest of this week. All right, this is RCST, two hours down, one to go. KU football superlatives, Brian Borland audio coming up next. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Don't forget, if you miss anything ever, check it out in the Best of RCSD podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and at KUSports.com. With Nick Springer, I am Derek Johnson. We've got some Brian Borland audio that we're going to get to later this hour. We've also got our KU Football Superlative segment coming up here in a second. First, though, DraftKings Sportsbook is getting you ready for college football season with week one. They are hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. You know, I, I was going on my, my DraftKings account the other day, and actually they have a bunch of like boosts you can do for games. I think they are like three different free boosts that they're giving you for the weekend that are just going to add enhanced odds. Use it on Kansas, save it for later in the week, uh, use it on a parlay with something. However you want to put it together, those boosts are how you're going to make your real money because that it's tough. It's tough in the sports gambling world out there. The boosts are going to help you with those uh, extra points here, there, extra dollars coming your way. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KLWN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. All right, we got our uh, trusty little bowl with our different superlatives for KU football this season, and I am going to draw one. I'm just going to draw off the top. Dude, off the top? That's so lame. It is. Who is the breakout defensive player for KU football in 2023? Ah, breakout defensive player. So, I think yesterday we had breakout player generally. And we actually ended up, I think, kind of looking at the defense and saying there was some more possibilities of it being on the defense. So, let's see. Yeah, I think you've actually got a lot of candidates here. What if Jeremy Robinson is a Lonnie Phelps-level player? I would consider that a breakout. So, Jeremy Robinson. I think you could look at on the interior, Tommy Dunn or DJ Withers. If either one of those guys ends up being, you know, a quality starter, you could probably consider either one of those guys breaking out this season. When you go to linebackers, I think your really only option there is JB Brown. If he if he comes out and is ex- as explosive and hard hitting as it sounds like he could be, he, he would be a breakout guy. I don't really know. I mean, Taiwan Berry Hill, Rich Miller. I don't really know how those guys can can break out, basically. Uh, so. JB Brown, really. You go to the secondary, Kobe Bryant. Uh, again, I mean, you're a first team All Big Twelve guy. So how do you? What's what do you have to do to break to quote unquote break out? Right, probably not. But what if maybe what if Melo Dotson gets four or five interceptions? You call that a breakout? That's probably a breakout. Yeah, I would call that a breakout. You go to you go to the safeties. I think. If Marvin Grant ends up being a guy that is, you know, a heavy hitter that makes a lot of impact plays, he could be a breakout guy. So there actually are a lot of candidates on this defense for guys that you would you could look at them and say, yeah, that was a breakout season. Well, I think that there's a couple of reasons there. One, because there is some unknowns in the defense. So and two, it, they were bad. Yes. So it's like it creates the opportunity and, and you're gonna need guys to break out point blank on the defensive side of the ball. Um, if Jeremy Robinson is Lonnie Phelps, that is the answer, to your point. But I don't know that that is going to happen, so I'm not going to pick him. Have we given enough credence to Hayden Hatcher here? I mean, Hayden Hatcher went from being a rotational defensive end at best the last couple of years to somebody who is now starting a defensive end. There's not even or listed next to it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, be- he's obviously he's beat out a couple of transfers that are certainly talented, right? So yeah. they, you know, you think about it. The staff brought in competition at that position because they felt like they needed to beef it up. They felt like they needed to, to, to add that, that position. And who who came out as a starter? Aiden Hatcher, right? He beat out all those guys, which is, I think, there is something to be said about that. There is. And this is the the most he's weighed. Uh, he is a quick, fast guy. We talked to Jeremy Robinson today, and that's something he mentioned, that he is he's he's just relentless. He's, he's such a hardworking player. You know, maybe it all comes together for Hayden Hatcher this year. Maybe he's the guy that breaks yeah. out at the defensive end position. I think he's one that I'm certainly keeping an eye on there. And I think it's cool that him, Hayden Hatcher and Jim Robinson are roommates and really, really like best friends, you know, so both coming off the edge. Like, I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, You, you tossed aside Rich Miller and Taiwan Berryhill. I didn't toss him aside, but. I mean, as far as the conversation went. Um, I kind of would like to, to with Rich Miller. Is there another gear he can get to? I mean, think about it. He comes in right away 2021, not starting to begin the year, but eventually becomes a starter midway through that season. I remember when he first came in, the talk about him was, don't expect this guy to play a ton right away. He was going to be more of a depth linebacker at Buffalo that year. 
Buffalo is probably better than Kansas in 2021. If you're just looking, I don't know, maybe maybe not. I, I don't know that Buffalo had that good of a year. Um, he goes to maybe being thrown in the fire sooner than you would expect. So then to 2022, you're a full-time starter. You have slight improvement there. Maybe this is the year where there's the big improvement. Maybe this is the year where it all comes. I mean, he, he's been a leader on the defense. He knows what's being asked of him. He's in the system for another year. Maybe your defensive line in front of you does a better job keeping blockers away from you. What if Rich Miller is the breakout guy? But, like, what does that look like? Does it look like he just leads a team in tackles? Does it look like he's, like, I have a hard time envisioning what that looks like. With with a lot of the other guys, I can see, okay, if he does this, if he does that, that's, I can see it. But, what I mean, yeah. I guess I don't know. So what you're, it, what you're, it, you're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, correct? I mean, that's mainly how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if you look at it from the other standpoint, Rich Miller is already the bona fide leader of the defense. So it's like, oh, if he emerges as the leader, well, that's he already is that. So okay. what so what I, I have a hard time envisioning what a breakout season for Rich Miller would look like. Well, see, for me, I don't I don't think it necessarily has to be I don't think it has a to be statistic that either. based thing. No, I don't think it has to be either. Like I said, I think Tommy Dunn or DJ Withers could both be really great options as breakout guys if they become stalwart, you know, anchors of the interior of the D line. Yeah, no, I just, I, I mean, this is going to sound very simple when I say this, but it's just being better. <laughs> like, it's, it sounds stupid for me to say it, but like, as, is, as, does that qualify as breakout though? Like, I feel like if you're just, if you're just better than you were last year, that doesn't necessarily mean you broke out. No, it's, it's, I think, I think breakout to me is you were significantly better. Yes. Or like you were going from somebody who is just seen as like, like it can apply yeah, either, for either you got bench player to a good starter or yes. you went from a below average starter to being like, I don't know, maybe one of the better ones. Um, yeah. Like in the conference, right? Sure. Yeah. Now, if, if I look at the linebacker position from last year's Big 12, Rich Miller. Where did he run? Okay, I'm just going to read from the bottom because this is going to take too too far to get from the top. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Oh, whatever. I'm, I'm done counting. There are over 20 linebackers rated higher than Rich Miller and Taiwan Berryhill last year. Among the qualified linebackers by, snapped on pro, by snaps on Pro Football Focus, the bottom four linebackers, one of them plays for TCU. The other three all played for Kansas. Rich Miller, Taiwan Berryhill, Lorenzo McCaskill. So if Rich Miller becomes even a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 linebacker, isn't that breaking out? Uh, you go from I, I being one so. of the worst starting yeah. linebackers to if one of the— you want to look at right? the depressing side of that, yeah, yeah, how bad they were you know, last year. I'm just saying, I, I I think there's something there. Uh, I I, I kind of do want to go with Marvin Grant though. We're we're gonna get to this Brian Borland audio coming up here, but he uh, is gonna really uh, talk about Marvin Grant, talk him up, how he's his habits for you know the off the field or not the off the field the the study habits the the, yeah. the preparation habits are so much better for him. Uh, even he mentioned him even playing some like Nickelback for the teams. They're yeah. they're gonna find ways I mean, for him to get on the field for as highly as we think of OJ Burrows. And I think you and I both are pretty high on OJ Burrows. We both think he's a, a very quality player, one of the better players on this defense. It's a, there's an or there between him and Marvin Grant, which means that Marvin Grant is certainly pushing. OJ Burroughs and probably Kenny Logan for that mm-hmm. matter to to you know to increase his increase his role. So that that should tell you something about where he's at because Kenny Logan's obviously a veteran guy who has played a lot of football and is very experienced and like I said you and I both I think agree that OJ Burroughs has the potential to be a really really quality coverage safety and really elite kind of deep middle of the field type safety and Marvin Grant seems to be right there. 
All right, who are you settling with? Uh, I will settle on. Uh, I'm gonna go with Tommy Dunn. Okay, go with Tommy Dunn on the interior of the D line. Yeah, I'm gonna do the thing where I talked about all these other players and then pick somebody else. I'm, I'm I thought doing... you were gonna pick. I thought you were gonna pick Marvin Grant. You just said no. I'm, I'm gonna do DJ Withers. What? DJ Withers. You just maybe. said. You just said you were gonna pick Marvin Grant. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, what do you mean? You literally just said it to thirty seconds did ago. You know, DJ Withers was a Brent Deerman recruit, so uh, Brent Deerman keeps on giving. Um, but yeah, Withers dude, you just said Marvin Grant. I changed my mind. Withers came in his high school football profile, two hundred forty-five pounds. He's now three hundred and ten pounds. Heard good things about him lately. 6'4", 3'10", retro sophomore from Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, that's insane. DJ Withers going to be a guy this year. So give me DJ Withers. Former nearly top 1,000 recruit. 1,004 in the country. <laughs> At that point, you just call him top 1,000. I think, right? Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. All right. What do you think? Uh, coming up next, Brian Borland, audio. He met with the media earlier today with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.